you always have to keep in mind that the rules do change from time to time and there are often subtle differences around specific services and products, new drugs in particular. So you always have to check on the specific therapy that you're interested in. Hello everyone and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. In order to make sure approved treatments are available to people with ALS as quickly as possible, it is critical that insurance providers, including Medicare, the VA, and for-profit insurers, actually cover those therapies. But those coverage decisions are not automatic upon approval of a drug. In fact, it can take weeks, even months, before a new drug is covered by your insurance plan. That is why the ALS Association recently submitted letters to leaders at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and at the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, imploring them to immediately provide reimbursement for Radicava ORS, an oral formulation of the drug Adaravone, which was approved by the FDA on May 12th. So this week, we're digging into the process by which insurers make decisions on whether and how to cover new drugs. And joining me to do so is David Zook, chair of Fagri Drinker Consulting and an advisor for the ALS Association. Dave, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks for the invitation. Sure. Well, and, and as I said, we want to look at this idea of once drugs are approved, how they are made available and how consumers can access them in consultation with their medical team. So let's start there. Once a drug has been approved for use, how does insurance make coverage determinations? And I want to start with Medicare, just knowing that it's a primary source of coverage for people living with ALS and many folks uh, in the country. So what is Medicare's role once a drug is approved? How does it make its determinations? Well, thanks, Jeremy. As you know, really health plans cover and pay for medical services and products can be pretty complicated and and confusing. Um, I think it's good to focus in on types of plans, in particular, those that are most important to the ALS community. What I'll try to do is unpack this a little bit, but I want to remind everybody that you always have to keep in mind that the rules do change from time to time, and there are often subtle differences around uh, specific services and products, new drugs in particular. So you always have to check on the specific therapy that you're interested in. But for Medicare, new drug therapies really fall into three primary buckets known as Medicare parts, as uh, they're referred to parts of the Medicare program. And part A is for drugs that are given to a patient in a hospital or a skilled nursing facility. Part B is for drugs that you can't take on your own and most often are given in a doctor's office, something like an infusion therapy, for example. And part D, which just started not too long ago, actually, 2006, is for all those outpatient drugs uh, that you take on your own. So when a new drug is approved by the FDA, it's safe and effective for marketing. It has to uh, start out by getting a code. And this is a process run by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS, that runs both Medicare and Medicaid. And that code is the first step to make a product eligible for coverage. And that can take several months. The manufacturer has to apply, 
There is a period of review and input from others like commercial health insurance plans and pharmacy benefit managers and others looking at whether or not a new code should be provided. Most cases they are, and this can take several months. There are a couple of opportunities to make that application in a year, uh, the review of course, and then the decision-making it's in a regular cycle for giving a new code. Those codes are used for uh, medical products and services across the health plan landscape uh, that CMS runs that process with uh, collaboration with others, as I've mentioned. And then uh, depending on uh, the Medicare part that applies that A, B, and D that I mentioned earlier, the product has to be what's known as reasonable and necessary. You've heard of safe and effective for the FDA for CMS and Medicare. It's reasonable and necessary, a different standard in the view of the physician and CMS for the treatment of a specific illness or injury within that Medicare benefit. So then what uh, CMS does is they engage in a coverage determination process. And that's really the more detailed look at, okay, we've got a code, it fits in a specific Medicare part, and now uh, we have to decide how we're gonna cover it. And they're looking again at all of the evidence mostly generated in clinical trials around new drug products to decide specifically how a new drug uh, should be reimbursed in Medicare. There are a couple of ways that the uh, coverage determination decisions are made. One is uh, at a regional level, several regions that are run across the country to make uh, decisions on, on these new products and services. And those are, of course, called region, local coverage determinations. And there's also a process for a national coverage determination. So in some cases, CMS will decide that that makes more sense rather than having uh, these local coverage uh, decisions in place across the country and maybe some differences. They'll want to move to a, a national coverage determination to get that consistency across the country. Folks may have heard of this recently uh, in the case of a therapy for Alzheimer's disease, where CMS did decide that in order to have a consistent approach, they wanted a national coverage determination. And, and of course, that process also uh, can take a matter of months, maybe longer, depending upon uh, the complexity of the data that's supporting the specific product. And I should also mention that in addition to the traditional fee-for-service Medicare that uh, I've been describing for the most part, that many people now choose to use Medicare Advantage plans. This may be less the case and for people with ALS, but it should be mentioned as well uh, in the event that, that folks are using Medicare Advantage and it offers coverage uh, for products and services consistent with traditional uh, Medicare, but operates more like a commercial health plan in terms of the benefit design and can have a somewhat different approach to covering new drugs. Uh, we'll come back to this, I think, when we talk about other types of health coverage. But again, it's very important to uh, consider the, the details on specific drugs and how they're covered through resources like Medicare 
www.gov, uh, which has additional detail around uh, specific program elements and specific products. So a lot of moving parts, it sounds like, and understanding that it's going to vary from one therapy to the next, but is there a sense for roughly how long this process takes from once a drug is approved to once some of these coverage decisions are finalized by Medicare? Well, it is variable. As I've noted, it takes a few months for the coding and certainly um, in terms of uh, whether it's that local or national coverage determination that follows, that is an additional period of months, sometimes longer. So it, it is a bit of a runway. Uh, the time frame is usually based upon, I mean, Medicare has a pretty good track record of covering and providing access to new therapies, particularly where there's unmet medical need. And this is an important new treatment opportunity. So they're, they're pretty focused usually on trying to get that access. But as we've seen more recently where maybe the, there's a debate about uh, how effective the therapy is or uh, you know, concerns about the budget impact, that can cause you know, the process uh, to be a little bit, a little bit longer, uh, take more time and lead to uh, different approaches to the coverage. And is there something that somebody can do in the meantime? Are the drugs available to people in this gap between once it's been approved and once some of the coverage decisions are being made? Or is that going to vary from, from therapy to therapy uh, with some contextual differences? Well, for most people, the answer to that question is, will my insurance cover it? Right. And so the process we've been talking about or in a commercial health plan is really what drives uh, that access. So, of course, once it's approved for market, if your provider, your, your physician believes it's appropriate for, for you, working with you to determine the, the best course of treatment, it is possible to, of course, uh, prescribe it and pay out of pocket right. once it's FDA approved. But I think, Jeremy, for most people, that really is a function of, especially for higher cost therapies, of course, which uh, uh, new products often can be, it is a matter of getting that product through the coverage and payment or reimbursement process that we've been talking about. We've been talking about Medicare, and I do want to get into the private marketplace, but first I want to talk because knowing that prevalence rates amongst military veterans are higher for the ALS community. How does VA health come into this and in veterans health? What, what, what is the role that the VA plays in, in making coverage decisions for the community that they serve? Well, the VA uh, has a really, I think, very progressive uh, health plan and in it serving a contained population. Uh, so there are some advantages to that compared to Medicare or commercial plans in terms of managing it, but it operates like most uh, health plans in, in terms of new therapies, has a drug benefit that provides coverage and frames the decision-making on new products. They use a VA national formulary committee. That's a key term here, formulary for uh, really for all health plans. That's the list of uh, covered, approved and covered products and how they're reimbursed. And uh, in the case of the VA for their national formulary committee, various parties can make uh, submissions to that group for new therapies or new services. 
And um, then the team that comprises that committee, usually clinical program policy experts, oftentimes uh, input from patients uh, and others uh, with key insights around the therapy will inform a decision about how to add a new therapy to that formulary. Of course, uh, the data again from the clinical trial is usually very important for designing that policy coverage. So moving into the private insurance, we talked about this a little bit with Medicare Advantage and some of the decisions that, that are being made there. And for the population that is using private insurance, how are those companies making decisions? What is that? How does that look? Well, as I've noted a couple of times, commercial health plans do operate a, a lot like Medicare and the VA in terms of looking at the data around a new uh, drug that was generated um, mostly again in the clinical trial leading to FDA approval, as well as other, other sources, other information, real world information. If it exists, there will be in many cases a, a, an opportunity for patient organizations to submit information or, or views. Of course, the, the drug maker is responsible for getting uh, the key data to the health plans group. And again, we're, we're talking uh, here about the drug benefit in a health plan and the formulary that's that approved list of covered drugs. So uh, the process operates not too unlike what I just described for uh, the VA, uh, that team that operates the health plan formulary decides whether and how to include the product as well as any uh, special conditions or exceptions that, that might apply to the therapy. A lot of times, for example, the data generated in the clinical trial will um, suggest that it works better in certain populations. You always have you know, the, the people that were studied in the trial. Sometimes that informs the coverage policy. So we particularly have seen that increasingly with uh, new products in the, in the rare disease uh, category where that clinical trial design can sort of flow over to the health plan coverage using that information. So people talk a lot about how can that be improved? Can we add uh, real world evidence as the product is sold and used uh, in the future to further inform uh, the policy, which is something that a lot of plans are, are looking at and using where appropriate. Uh, well, Dave, this has been a very thorough look at a very complicated process of how public and private insurance payers or healthcare payers are, are making some of these coverage decisions. So really thank you for your time and insight today. My pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks for inviting me and I hope it's helpful. I want to thank my guest this week, Dave Zook. I also want to thank our partners at Neurology Live for helping put that interview together. If you want to watch a video version of our conversation, you can follow the link in our show notes. If you like this week's episode, share it with a friend. And please find time to rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. It is a great way for us to connect with more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Music